This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of solutions for non-24 disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Your opening CEU code is 22129. Again, that's 22129. Good afternoon, everybody. And ACB here. Um, I think we right now we have about 22 participants, which is a good turnout so far. Um, and I want to welcome everybody who's listening on ACB Media and who also may be tuning into us via Zoom. Um, we have an absolutely spectacular program for you all today. Um, two incredibly talented professionals in the arena of diabetes education. Um, I guess I'm remiss if I don't introduce myself. My name is Tom Tobin. I am the president-elect of ACB Diabetics in Action, and this is our first track of our convention programming. So we hope that those of you that are here today really, truly enjoy it. Now, for those of you who are new to ACB Diabetics in Action, who would maybe want some more information or would possibly want to consider joining, not that that's a commercial, but we'd love you to have join us, um, I'd ask you to send an email to ACBDA, so the abbreviation of ACB Diabetics in Action, so ACBDAORG at gmail.com. So um, that is how you can reach us. Somebody will respond to you uh, as timely as we can, given it's convention week, but we promise to get back to you um, as quickly as possible. David mentioned this, but I'll just repeat it for uh, grins, and that is that the uh, current C- CEU code is 222129. So just so you have it, I had written down two. Um, so really, uh, instead of having you guys listen to me, um, you're here to hear our presenters, and they, again, are two fabulous women in the area of diabetes education, uh, Brenda Javidic and Lisa Golden. Um, they have any number of credentials behind their name, uh, many of which I have no idea what they mean. So I'll let you look at those credentials in the convention program, which is where they are listed. But they are both certified diabetes uh, care and education specialists, which is, of course, our focus today. Um, so I think you are all in for a real treat. And having said that, uh, ladies, I'll turn the floor over to you. Brenda, Lisa? Okay, thank you so much for having us. We're both very excited to share some of our information with you. Um, Brenda and I have a slightly different backgrounds, but we have both have great passion for diabetes care and education and being able to serve people who um, have this condition. So Brenda is a nurse and I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor. So I'm sure you've met with one of each of us other in other areas um, of your <laughs> similar colleagues of ours. Um, So I'm really excited. We're going to kind of lay the foundation during this program. And then at four o'clock, we will go into more, um, a really exciting detail. And so Brenda, could you give us a little bit of a teaser about what the blue zones are? Okay. So my presentation following this, as we're co-presenting together, um, is going to look at the blue zones. And the blue zones is 
it was research done about 10 years ago by Dan Butner from National Geographic, where he went to find out where do people live the longest and the healthiest in the world. And he identified five communities. And in those five communities, he identified nine common lifestyle habits. And so what I'm going to do in the second presentation is review those nine uh, lifestyle habits and say, how can we apply this when you're living with both diabetes and vision loss? Right. I'm looking forward to that because it's one of those really interesting aspects of health and um, we're going to learn a lot. So um, I like to start any of my presentations so that we're all on the same page on how I define what is diabetes. And basically it's the inability to process the foods that you eat into the energy you need in order to get up and live your life and do what you need to do. So there's lots of different types of diabetes. Uh, You may hear different terms referred to, but I want to go over the four most common. Um, Type 1 diabetes occurs when the body's immune system attacks the beta cells. Now, beta cells are the insulin-producing cells on your pancreas, so they're extremely important. And so people with type 1 have no choice because they're beta cells have been attacked and they have few, if any, beta cells left, they have no choice but to inject insulin. Now, type 2 is slightly different. Go ahead, Brenda. I just wanted to say, if you want to set up your slideshow, because right now you have your introductory slide, if you, were you going to go to slide 2? Oh. Just... Yeah, I went to two. It just hasn't changed, I guess. Let me see if I can move back and then move forward again. If you go to beginning, I don't know. That's why it's great for two of us. We can help each other out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we click on from beginning because I, I see slides show up on top. And then if you click on from, from beginning, will that bring the slides? Move? Yeah, yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, I see what. Yeah. It still went into presenter mode on mine. So let me see if I end slides. To... Okay. Okay, now I see your second slide, yes. Okay. Okay, so you should be seeing type 1, type 2, prediabetes, and gestational. No, I see the the beginning slide again. So I don't know if you're going to have to do that manually. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I might have to just do it from over here. Okay. Move this. Or maybe change cameras. Um, They're perfect. You got it. You got it. Okay. (laughs) Let's let's try this. Okay. So with type 2 diabetes, there's two different... Um, things that are going on. You do have beta cell loss, just like with type 1, just not as dramatic as what type 1 is. Um, But the other issue is what we call insulin resistance. And that's when, even when insulin is there and everything should be working, your muscles might not open up and allow that glucose in so that you can use it as your fuel. So, um, We'll see if this will work. There you go. Um, I want to give you, there's a natural history to type 2 diabetes. And what we show is, 
even 15 years before somebody gets diabetes, they are actually becoming more and more insulin resistant. And in response to that, the body is going to overwork the pancreas and it's going to try to shoot out more insulin. And so what we were finding is your blood sugar isn't really going up that much. And especially if we're only watching those fasting glucoses, those glucoses that have been, you know, hours since you've eaten anything, like usually eight hours or more. Um, and we weren't really seeing a great rise in blood sugars, but people are still kind of getting a little bit unusual A1Cs. Um, and what we should have been testing is the after meal glucoses, because with type two, often their before meal glucoses are fine, but they just are not processing the food the way a person who didn't have some beta cell issues, um, you know, would be processing it. And so you may have heard the term a pooped pancreas. Um, and what people mean by that when they say that is that if you work anybody so hard, you're going to get pooped out and you're going to quit. And so that's what happens with the pancreas is that it starts shutting down. Some of those beta cells just quit. So usually by the time you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you've lost at least 50% and you could have lost up to 80%. You could have lost a significant amount of the beta cells on your pancreas. So I don't want you to think that insulin's a punishment. Insulin is just replacing the hormone that your body is unable to produce either sufficient or any of in the case of type 1 diabetes. So you know, based on that, we've kind of had to get a little bit more progressive and preventative. And that's where pre-diabetes comes in. We know with pre-diabetes that healthy eating, being active, losing a little bit of weight, it doesn't even have to be a lot, but 5% of your body weight. So, you know, 15 pounds can do your health a world of difference. Um, keeping up with your triglycerides, your cholesterol, your um, just... Um, blood pressure, all those healthy things that you know you should be doing. Um, if we work on those things, we can prevent going to type 2 diabetes. And another indicator of um, type 2 diabetes may be in women gestational diabetes. So, you know, when you're trying to feed another human, um, then it kind of is hard on your system and it brings out some things that your system might not be as strong at as other people. And so if there's a history of diabetes in your family and you have a little bit of insulin resistance, then it can really be pronounced during your pregnancy. And so we want to make sure, A, we take care of that for your baby, but also that we want to prevent you from going into full-blown type 2 diabetes. So there's seven self-care behaviors that the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists has identified and um, that we really work on. And they're not just for people with diabetes. Everybody to live a healthy life needs to do these seven self-care behaviors. And so they're healthy eating and being active. And tomorrow at 2.30 will be a session on nutrition um, trends and their impact on diabetes. And at 4 o'clock will be one about um, um, diabetes and fitness. So that'll take care of those first two self-care behaviors. But there's also monitoring, taking medication, problem solving, healthy coping, reducing risk, et cetera. 
So there are many things that impact blood sugars, but we usually only, or we first think of food. Um, Healthy eating is important, but so is being active and taking your medication. And there's other things that we should consider, such as stress, allergies, temperature, your hormones. There's a website that I recommend called Diatribe. You can Google them. Um, They have an article that's written by this gentleman that I have pictured here on the slide. Um, His name is Adam Brown. He's a person with type 1 diabetes who kind of took all the advice he's been given over the years and kind of went over them for himself. Um, And he's created a document called the 42 Factors That Impact Blood Sugar. And um, it goes over all kinds of wonderful things. And he kind of explains his logic about things. Um, if you want to take a deeper dive, he's got he written a book called Bright Spots and Landmine. And it's available as a free audio book. And I've got the link on the slide as well for that. Um, but he does a great job of demonstrating that you're the real person in charge of your diabetes. So you're going to get some ideas today and tomorrow of how to manage your blood sugars, but it's up to you to decide which ideas you can implement today, which ones you may need some preparation, including research in order to implement, and which just aren't going to work in your personal life because we're all different and live different lives and situations. So You're not Adam Brown. You're not your diabetes educator. You're not your doctor. You are the expert on your health and your life. And we're just support people. So you need to call on us and see what we can do to help you. If we have some ideas that are different from maybe what other people have presented to you, that'll work and make it easier for you to manage your diabetes. But I was, yeah. I was just going to say that it's great that you brought up the 42 factors because some people with diabetes may be following their, their eating plan and really being careful and testing and seeing their numbers go up. And they're like, why do I bother? But they might find that, well, you know what, if you're under a lot of stress, if there's lots of things going on in your life, it can actually put your blood sugars up high, even though you're eating healthy. So that's why this is so empowering. It really helps people to see that. So you don't get, you don't give up hope and you realize it's complicated, and that's why if you can see a diabetes educator, they can help you work through that. I just like yes. that. So that's perfect segue because I think Adam says it beautifully here. As a person with diabetes, I fall into the trap of thinking I'm at fault for out-of-range blood sugars. And um, you're not, I want to tell you that you're not at fault, but managing diabetes is ultimately your responsibility because your health practitioners can't be with you all the time. Um, so learn as much as you can. Experiment on yourself. That's what, to me, that's what a monitor is for. Is It's your personal lab to see what works and what doesn't. If it doesn't work for you, we'll try something else. Um, just, I want you to keep trying. That's the biggest thing. And also, I was going to say, Lisa, that's why we call it, you know, the education diabetes educators provide. It's called diabetes self-management education and support because we're providing you with the information. We're giving you the support, but you're the person that does it. Um, I think, you know, some people say that the person that has diabetes, you're doing 90 to 95% of all the work. So that's why the education and support is so important. Excellent. So the next self-care behavior is monitoring. Um, You know, I'm not going to go a lot into talking blood glucose monitors. They've been around for years and there's nothing new to the market that would be good for somebody with a visual impairment. 
Um, so uh, the only thing I'm going to review is the way that I teach how to get blood to the test strip, because that's something I'm always being asked about, and there's still no perfect ways. But here's what I say. First thing, you want to wash your hands. We no longer recommend using alcohol wipes uh, unless you're in a place that hand washing can't be done. But if you're home, just a mild soap, some warm but not hot water, and a clean towel, not only will it get the area clean, but it'll increase the circulation. Um, So you'll get a better drop of blood. Um, And then I want you to prep your meter and the lancing device so those are ready. And then, like it shows on the picture on your screen, you want to place your thumb on whatever finger you're going to lance. But um, And then you're going to pick up the lancing device and put the lancing device against the finger you're going to lance and against the thumb as well. Um, so what that does, it allows you to have an idea where the blood should be. In general, the distance between where the lancet comes out of the lancing device and the center of the test strip is about the same place. Um, And then you will kind of, leaving the thumb there after you um, lance it, um, go ahead and pull that lancing device away, go underneath the thumb and milk the finger from underneath. Leave that thumb there the entire time. So after you've milked to get a sufficient drop of blood, go ahead and pick up the meter and sweep the test strip across across the finger that you lance with the end of the test strip against the thumb. And if it doesn't start, just move it a little bit further away and try sweeping it again. Um, And normally that works. But there is a tendency when people have a disability to blame all errors on the disability. So... I just want to remind you that everyone gets the not enough blood error. I also want you to be nice to yourself. It takes practice. So, you know, you have to, it takes practice even for a new person with full vision to be able to get the blood in the right place on the test strip. So be patient with yourself while you're learning. Um, And after a while, you'll be successful more frequently, but you're never going to get away from that not enough blood message 100%. So what I think is much more exciting nowadays are continuous glucose monitors. Unfortunately, there's not monitors that are fully accessible. Some of y'all are brilliant and have figured out ways to work around. And I always say workarounds are not accessibility, but I'll continue to advocate that um, we get some continuous glucose monitors that are accessible. So, you know, the wonderful thing about them is they take your blood sugar three to every three to five minutes. And there's a a new information and new ideas coming out of what we're seeing happen with continuous glucose monitors. One of the biggest things is the concept of time and range. So we're kind of, what we're learning is how to individualize things, how much insulin you produce versus the next person, how insulin resistant you are, your response to specific foods, your specific activities or allergies, heat, cold, stress. So all of those kind of things. Now, ideally, what we want is for your blood sugar to stay time and range 70 to 180. Um, for about at least 70% of the time. If we can get it even better than that, then, hey, we're trying to reduce the complications. But time and range is really an important concept. 
Um, we're finding with the continuous glucose monitors that we can get rid of your lows and it doesn't affect your A1C. Um, so people thought their A1C would go up if they didn't have those lows too, but that's not necessarily true. Um, so the, our first goal, because uh, the lows, blood sugars, they can be miserable. So we want to get rid of those so you don't have that risk. And then we want to work on bringing down the highs. And it gives us information about when you're high. And we can have you study it and figure it out for yourself um, what's right and what's wrong. So, Brenda, do you have any thoughts about continuous glucose monitors? Or um, Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, first I was going to make a comment about, you know, when, ha- when you get um, – low blood sugars because um, you were saying that some people be afraid because if you take away the low blood sugars your a1c will be higher but what happens when you have a low blood sugar you feel terrible i'm sure if there are people here in our virtual audience would tell us how bad it feels when you have a low and so what some people do is they over treat it they you know they drink like a you know eight ounces 12 ounces of orange juice to get rid of the shaky feeling when you probably only needed four ounces so sometimes what happens after a low you overtreat and then you go sky high um, so that by preventing the lows, because lows can be dangerous, um, then, then you can also potentially prevent the rebound highs that happen if you overtreat. My other thoughts um, on, on, on the lovely description that Lisa gave on how to get a blood sample is, you know, one area where I feel like diabetes educators are the experts and can, and, and, and they, they're, they're the experts on helping people manage their diabetes. Now, not all diabetes educators are going to be expert on how to empower people that have both diabetes and vision loss. And, and, and that may be a process, and it may be a process two-way learning where you're teaching them and they're teaching you. But one thing that they could do, let's say you did a visit telehealth, someone could walk you through exactly what Lisa just told you, but you could be doing it in front of a computer screen and the educator could be watching you and giving you um, further instructions and feedback. I'm also wondering moving forward with the CGM is that maybe moving forward, we might be able to have people wear CGM when they are, when they have the support of a diabetes educator who walks them through how to put on the, um, the sensor and, and, and give you some um, information on that. So I, I'm thinking telehealth may open the doors and make increase access, not just to diabetes educators, but maybe helping increase access to technology. I can cross my fingers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're, we're always hoping for more. And we're, you've got two people in this room that are always advocating for accessible technology. So for you. Yeah. Okay, so another important test is the hemoglobin A1C. Many of you have probably had that. I compare it to a lint brush. Um, As the red blood cells um, move throughout your bloodstream, the more sugar that's in your bloodstream, the more it's going to pick up, just like a lint brush. You know, it's different if you have one person in the house versus if you have two or three or four and two dogs and three cats. And all of a sudden you've got a awful lot of hair to pick up. Right. So it just gives us an idea of how much um, of the sugar is in your blood. So in general, um, we like for you to be in the four to five range. If you do not have diabetes, Um, once you start getting close to six, we consider that you have prediabetes. And then once you're at seven, we know that you have, diabetes and we really want to monitor and get you i if we can get you under seven there's some situations that we can't do that but um if we can get you under seven that's where we'd really love for you to be 
But once you're diagnosed with with diabetes, you always have diabetes. People with type 2 may go into remission is what I like to call it. They may have weight loss surgery or a strict vegan diet can really help or just strong self-care efforts. But your pancreas is already broken. So we don't consider you cured. Your labs, um, you know, could still come back abnormal in the future, but keep up whatever you did to get your um, A1C down to that four to five percent range again, then, um, you know, keep up that good work as much as you can. Now, you know, there's other talking monitors like blood pressure, weight, temperature, pulse ox. You can look for some of those talking equipment and also keep up with your lab work. So when physicians are looking at your labs, they're often looking for where it says it's high or it's low. But you may notice that, you know, last time you were, your A1C was 4.6 and this time it's 5.4. Maybe not quite enough for him to be terribly worried about it, but you're concerned that it has gone up in the past six months. Um, And so you could point that out and ask for any assistance that you need. Okay, so taking medication, another important part of uh, managing your diabetes. And I'm not going to go into specific medications. There's multiple classes of medications. Um, But I want you to know that we're lucky because in 2021, we have a variety of medications that work on different problems that may be present. Um, For instance, metformin, which many of you may be on, is a pill. And what it does is it tells your liver to make to stop making glucose and to um, stop releasing that glucose into your bloodstream. And then it also improves how your muscles um, will use insulin that is present. Um, There are a ton of pills and injectables that may help. And there's even combination medications so that that particular pill or injection might have more than one medication. Now, all of these medications might work a little bit differently. So there's some that help the pancreas release a little bit more insulin, some that helps your muscle cells be more sensitive to insulin. Um, Some help balance the insulin levels between the liver and the pancreas. Some slow down the breakdown of food in your intestines. Some block the reabsorption of glucose in the kidneys so you can pee out more sugar. There's always insulin (laughs) prescribed. And a lot of these medications now are either weight neutral or can actually help you lose a little weight. I'm kind of fond of those. And a lot of them do not cause low blood sugar, which is also nice to get away from. We've been traditionally, we've had a lot of medication that caused low blood sugar. You had to watch out. So, Just keep in mind, not all injectables are insulin. And your doctor, your diabetes educator or pharmacist can tell you how those injectables work in your body and how often to take them. Um, The devices are pretty easy to learn. A lot of the devices are similar to an insulin pen, but just work slightly different. And a lot of those, uh, or several of those injections only need to be taken weekly. So um, it can simplify your regimen. 
sorry. Um, so when talking about insulin, um, insulin can be very complicated and there's a variety of ways to administer, including there's vials, there's insulin pins, there's smart pins, there's insulin pumps and patch pumps, and there's even an inhaled insulin. And then that's not even going into things like the magna guide and the counter dose and things that we have to use in order to take our insulin. Um, so keep in mind that there's also a number of different insulins, some that work fast or what we call fast compared, it's nothing compared to how somebody who does not have diabetes gets their insulin from their healthy pancreas. Um, and then there's other insulins that go for 24 hours or more. And some doctors prescribe an insulin routine that includes like a long-acting insulin, what we call a basal insulin, and then multiple daily injections of short-acting insulin to cover the meals or other situations that raise your blood sugar. And so one of the things I wanted to say was that I hear people state that they um, their diabetes must be really bad because they're on such a regimen or they think the doctor just loves prescribing a bunch of medicine. And that's not what I find. Um, what they're trying to do um, is mimic how your body would release insulin if you didn't have a broken pancreas. But that's hard because your situation is different every day. You eat different foods, do different things, have different amount of stress or sleep, and a bunch of other factors that make one day different from the next. And so you may have a regimen that works perfectly when you're working, but it's not so great on the weekends, or you may do great on the weekends and not so well when you're working. So um, do you have any comments about taking medications, Brenda? Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> um, there are, you referenced some of the oral meds that cause low blood sugars. And I think what's really important, um, the medications you've listed under the pancreas, and these are really the much older medications, um, glyburide, glipicide, glimipiride, um, glucotrol, um, these are older medications, which means they're cheaper. So that's a bonus. But these are medications that you have to be understand how they work because because they stimulate the release of insulin, you really need to be eating like your three meals a day. Because if you skip a meal, um, then you're more likely to have a you can have a severe low with these meds. So I think because and I think that would be the most important thing I would be, be stressing and just knowing. So I think it's important. One of the reasons why meeting with an, a diabetes educator, they can explain what medicine the doctor has prescribed you, how they work, and how that, and things that you need to be aware of. Like, for instance, with metformin, when you first start metformin, if you have a sensitive stomach, they may start you on a lower dose because for some people, they may get stomach upset and maybe get some diarrhea initially. But if you slowly increase, that over time you're less likely to have those stomach effects and then um um and, and also it's also it's also cheaper so that's a, a bonus but i think having meeting with a diabetes educator does help you with that to understand your meds and understand um some of the the key issues like for instance if you're on metformin for a long time you probably need to have a vitamin b12 supplement because the research is showing over time that that would be necessary yeah, these are all the details that you can get from your diabetes educator. Your diabetes educator has much more time than your doctor does. Um, but um, my recommendation for when you're working with your doctor is physically write down the questions, your top three questions you want answered during that visit. 
And, you know, they have so much documentation that they have to do for the insurance company and for their own practice and all of that, that I find it really works if you hand them the questions um, and say, let's do what we need to do, but this is what I um, am hoping to come out of this visit with you. And then um, they'll answer it on their own time, you know, when they're waiting for a page to load or something like that, uh, then they have time to answer your question and you'll get more questions answered. Elisa, this this is Tom. I just as a facilitator, I just want to jump in here because you said something that I'm guessing some of our participants may want to hear more about, and that is the use of uh, comparing your A1C reading in combination to your time on target. I know the time on target is is something that is a much more or a newer way to measure control, but I wonder if you could just comment on the use of those two things to better control your diabetes. You know, both of those are are just information. Um, They're just in a different way. Your A1C is kind of what your average blood sugar is over a three-month period. And so it doesn't get into specifics. And that's where the continuous glucose meters can give you your time and range and some graphs that you can study and figure out you know, why am I so high at this time? Or why do I go really high on Sunday and just Sunday afternoon? And for some reason, I'm really high. And so you can start to think through what's different about Sundays than about Monday through um, Saturday. Um, Maybe you forget to take your medicine on Sundays because you're running out to get to church or, um, you know, stuff like that. So it really is that time and range is a lot more specific. Um, and it's a lot easier to study than the A1C. And there's a lot of factors that could affect the A1C. So that may not always be, none of monitoring is perfect. So I want you to know there's, <laughs> it's using the best information we can to make decisions with. Thank you. Excellent answer. Thank you very much. The other thing, Tom, that I would say to this is, so so you're comparing A1C to time and range. When you refer to time and range, that is continuous glucose monitor. And I'll give you an example of a patient I had. She, uh, her A1C was like around 7.1, which didn't sound too bad. So an A1C is a weighted average over the last three months, but it's an average. Anyone out there who knows a lot about math, it, it's not giving you a lot of information. I So this lady she was having a lot of lows. So I asked her doctor, can we put her on a, a, a continuous glucose center? So the doctor's office owns it. I put it on the patient. They wear it. They return it back. We download it and look at the information. Well, the information I found out was she was going between 40 and 400 every single day. But what we found out when I looked at the numbers and I asked her questions was, well, in the morning, if she wakes up, her blood sugars are good. She said, well, I won't take my insulin at breakfast. And then by lunchtime, she's so sky high and she's so upset. She gives herself too much insulin and she crashes again. She crashes. She feels so horrible, overeats and goes high again. So what Lisa was saying, time and range, when we're saying between 70 to 180, her time and range is 40 to 400. So that's why these glucose sensors, even if you can't buy one for yourself, even so you don't have a personal one, but if you go to a diabetes educator and they, you get a referral for to wear a temporary one, it can provide so much information and you could do that like once a year. Excellent. Thank you. It's all about using your tools with diabetes, using whatever information you can get from whatever resources. 
Okay, so the next self-care behavior is problem solving. So often the first thing we think of when we're thinking about problem solving is the highs and the lows. Um, So with high blood sugar, of course, you need to think about did you take your medication? Um, Think about what may be causing it to go high. Um, Stress can raise your blood sugar faster than any ding-dongs and Dr. Peppers is what I like to say. Um, You know, I don't care how bad you thought you ate. Stress on your body can really uh, impact your blood sugars. And, you know, there's a lot of stressful situations. I mean, we just went through an entire year of nothing but stress as an entire world. Um, And some things that we had zero control over. And so we've got to think about that. You think about the eye procedures that you're having or um, you know, any financial concerns, there's a lot of stress out there, right? Um, the other thing I always recommend if you are having high blood sugars is that you make sure that you stay hydrated. So I really want to encourage you to drink water um, and make sure that you're able to flush a lot of that glucose out of your system. Um More dangerous is the lows that people do experience sometimes. And um, the problem with um, the signs and symptoms of low and high is you get sometimes the same signs and symptoms and you can't tell which direction you're in. So that's where those continuous glucose monitors or um, testing your blood sugar can really help so that you can see exactly what situation you're in. Because you don't want to eat more if your blood sugar is always already high, but you don't want to not eat if your blood sugar is low. You need to get that blood sugar up. So there's all kinds of things on the market, glucose tabs, gels, powders, liquids. Um, You may be familiar, have been trained at some point to use juice or non-diet sodas. I like um, Smarties. I find them easy for me to keep those in my pocket um, or in my purse. And when I'm at work, I have an easy access if I need to treat a low um, and they're cheap at the dollar store. Um, But one of the things I wanted to bring to your attention, because it's really had a resurgence, is the use of glucagon to treat your lows. Um, I have some images on this um, slide, and to the far left is the traditional glucagon kits. Um, But these are kind of difficult to use. You have to um, inject some liquid into a powder, make sure it's suspended, then draw it back out, and then... So it's somebody else, usually somebody who doesn't have diabetes and is not used to giving injection has to inject it in, in you in order for it to work. Um, but now there's some new ones. So the second one is a nasal type and the last two are like some EpiPen style glucagon administrators. And um, they're really some wonderful treatments. If you're one of those people that is struggling with severe lows, I really highly recommend you talk to your doctor and pharmacist about some glucagon options. And um, I know they're expensive um, for some people, but pharmaceutical companies, have payment assistance programs, whatever medication you need. So always explore those options. Um, And then I also want you to consider if you did have to use the glucagon, um, what is the cost of your lost work or your lost time with your family? What is the cost of the ambulance and the emergency department? It may be just as much or more um, than the cost of having that glucagon there. Um, but a lot of insurance does cover, um, and so you just have a copay with the glucagon.
The other thing um, I wanted to talk to you about problem solving, just especially uh, post-pandemic, is sick days. Um, Because sick days really can run havoc on you. Um, And we all do get the cold or the flu at some point. Um, And then, of course, some, some people have been had to struggle through COVID and that's been really hard. So for sick days, my advice is first of all, stay hydrated. So you really want to make sure you have your liquids, your waters, you might have some, you know, warm tea that might help um, warm broth or something like that. I also recommend that you take your medication unless you're specifically instructed not to by your doctor's office. Um, because we need to keep your blood sugars. Again, stress will raise your blood sugar and sick, being sick is stress on the body. Um, if you are taking insulin, you want to eat something or saphonylurea, you want to eat something. Um, if you can't get much down, you know, typical things, jello, not sugar-free, but regular jello, um, pudding, popsicles, um, soups, those kind of things you sometimes are able to process um, what, and it can be comforting that warmth of that coldness. And then my biggest advice is monitor more frequently. Monitor everything. Yes, your blood sugar, but your blood pressure, your temperature, um, your weight. Um, see how things are going, and if things seem like they're Um, ramping up pretty fast, it's a pretty good indicator that something is going on in your body and call your doctor and see what you should do about that. The other thing I would say, Lisa, is it could be one of, let's say you're just going for a routine visit. It could be your one question saying, what do I do when I'm sick? What do you want me to do? Or your diabetes educator can also, we usually have handouts that say just key things to remember. Or for those of you who are not going to see a diabetes educator and you're using your computer, key um, sick day management with diabetes. There's a lot of information from good sources. Yeah. Okay. So the next healthy behavior is healthy coping. And with this, um, Brenda and I want you to know that we know that diabetes is hard. It's it's just not easy to manage. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's just simple, <laughs> you know. Um, all you have to do is eat healthy, be active, monitor, take care. I, I mean, I'm getting tired of saying all the self-care behaviors. It just, it's hard to uh, manage diabetes. And so that can lead to something that we refer to as diabetes distress. When you just kind of become anxious and frustrated with your diabetes and, um, and get overwhelming to even try to deal with it. Now, it could involve some minor depression, but people with diabetes do have a tendency to have major depression. So it's something to really pay attention to. What's going on with you? How do you feel about your diabetes? Um, And why do you feel that way? And what could you do to make living with diabetes more tolerable? Because Um, I wish we could just, you know, like I have an image of an eraser here erasing out the word stress. I wish we could do that, but it's not so easy. And stress management is important, and we're going to talk about it more in Brenda's section uh, session next um, because it's one of the important things related to the blue zones. But I want you to know that there are hundreds of ways that you could manage your stress, and it helps to have some thoughts about what you like to do. Um, up front. 
So you can listen to your favorite music. You know, one song is three to five minutes. That's that's all it takes to completely change your mood. Whatever your favorite song is, have that, you know, ready to go so that when you need it, you've got some inspiration. You might want to watch a movie or you might journal. Sometimes it helps to just get it out of your system. Um, You know, journal what what you're thinking about. Um, Take a bath. You might like to craft or Call your best friend or um, deep breathing does so much physically for you. So that holds smell the flowers and blow out the candles, those slow, deep breaths. There's a reason why they put oxygen on you when you get in the hospital, because it really does having oxygen in your lungs and going throughout in your bloodstream, going throughout your system um, really does make a difference. So just practicing that deep breathing and really filling up your lungs, it's actually a physically healthy thing for you to do. And my last most um, favorite thought is um, sometimes we need to take a diabetes vacation. But what I want you to know about vacations is that they're planned. We enjoy them when we have them, but they're also short term. And then, you know, we reflect back on how fun that was afterwards. So, you know, prep to have a good vacation from your diabetes. What is that going to look like for you? Um, So you're going to choose to still take your medication, but maybe you're choosing to have a little wine as you go out with your girlfriends on uh, the weekend and you know you may not be as active because y'all are going to watch movies together and you're going to sit there in somebody's home with that popcorn and m&ms and that glass of wine and you're just that's your little vacation enjoy the, every moment of that vacation but you've planned it you've looked forward to it and now you know when you get back from your vacation then uh, reflect back on how enjoyable and start thinking about what you want to do the next time. I don't know if you want to add anything here, Brenda, but I know you've got, that's an important part of the next session. Hope you're on mute. Um, I think that the reality is stress is part of our lives and certainly, you know, life is stressful putting diabetes, having vision loss, and then COVID, we've had a lot of stress. So it's really important to look at how are you coping? Because most of us have automatic responses for coping that aren't very healthy. So whether it be like, you know, you don't want to get into bed in the morning, or you're going to drink a couple glasses of wine, or um, you're, you're going to get angry and rage, and you're, you're not going to talk to someone, or you're, you're going to shut yourself out. So that it's important to look realize there's lots of stress and looking at are the ways that I can be actively changing how I change my, my response to stress. And this isn't just like, you know, plug and play and you're done. It's, it's an evolving ongoing challenge. Um, it's a part of your journey in life and your journey with diabetes. It is just recognize that there is distress in diabetes and do what you have to do in order to manage your stress. Okay, so our last self-care behavior is reducing risk. And what this is about is preventing or at least delaying the complications of diabetes. It includes stopping smoking. If you're using any tobacco products, including vaping, really um, want to stop those that have a tremendous impact on your health and specifically your diabetes, your cardiometabolic status. So, um, and but... 
what I want you to know about stopping smoking is that it's not easy. So reach out for help. There are to tobacco assistance programs in every state that can help you with. And the other thing I'll tell you is that failure is part of the process. So people, it's not just a self-control thing. There's really some things that need to be thought through and done in order to stop smoking. And so if you fail, if you, you know, even if it's, you tried to quit in a day later, then you couldn't, um, you started up again, we'll try again, set another goal date to quit. If it's been three months or six months or six years, and all of a sudden you are smoking again, rethink what's what's different today and, um, you know, set another goal to quit smoking again. So it's really an important thing. I also want to encourage you to drink alcohol responsibly. And people with diabetes can drink alcohol. We just have to think ahead about it. And some meds um, might not allow you to drink alcohol, so you want to consider those. Um, And then we also want to think about the general recommendations of what healthy drinking is, which is generally one drink a day for women and two for men. And that doesn't mean adding up. (laughs) so that on Saturday I can get seven drinks at one time. So there's not binge drinking. So um, the other thing that I want to talk to you about is performing all your self-care tasks. Now that's all the daily, daily things, but also I want you to have an appreciation of all the extra exams that have to be done. So I'm sure that all of us can appreciate how important our eye exams are when you're living with vision issues. Um, but also he- he- getting a hearing check is going to be important um, about 35% of people with diabetes have hearing issues. And the just like with eye issues, the sooner you can get help, the better off you are. So um, I want you to perform all your self-care tasks, and I want you to be your own advocate for to all those health practitioners that you may have been recommended to you. Um, take advantage of those. So in addition to your general practitioner, you might be seeing an endocrinologist, your diabetes care and education specialist, a cardiologist, a nephrologist, a podiatrist, your eye doctor, your dietitian, um, a dentist. There's so many areas. And if you get those referrals, please take advantage of those opportunities. And again, you get like, you know, I'm going to give you a pass. Automatically, you get three questions per practitioner. That's an awful lot of your questions that could be answered. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think we're ready for our question and answer time. So do we have any questions out there or how would they ask? Yeah, let me, um, this is Tom. And um, I just wanted to thank you both for just an incredible presentation. I have to say, Lisa, I was still thinking of, uh, you know, the um, glucagon as the old have to mix it with the into the one vial into the other vial and have to get it, you know, as you said, uh, you know, shaken up. So it's integrated. And, uh, that's how I was thinking. I had no idea that there was, uh, inhaled glucagon or that there were like glucagon pens. That's really remarkable. And I would also say, I, I just in, from a personal standpoint, I think the point you made about how diabetes can impact each of us individually, psychologically is really important. Um, in fact, I think, 
and I would just say this, I think sometimes diabetes can really mess with our heads. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, you do all this great work and your blood sugar is 250. I'm like, why did it do that? I worked very hard. So it's, it is a, um, it is, I, I call it, it's a day-to-day battle. Um, and that's not just with the, you know, maintaining your blood sugars and all that stuff, but maintaining your proper mental health, uh, all the things that you mentioned. So, um, Great presentation, and thank you both so much. And um, we have about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so for questions, and I want to have a few minutes to wrap up. Do we have any questions out there? Kim? I am wondering, you said something about a website called Diatribe. Yes. Um, what, is it .com or? Um, Diatribe is a website. It's kind of a patient website. A patient portal is what we call it. Um, they do refer um, to practitioners um, and bring them in as guests to write some articles. But it really is about people living with diabetes, the information that they've gathered, how they're advocating. Um, it's diatribe, D-I-A-T-R-I-B-E dot org. Okay. Um, okay. And another question I have, I didn't know that it's possible to get the Libre um, on a trial basis. I'm glad you mentioned that. So I, I, I would double check with the Libre. I know that the the Dexcon, um, and there's a couple of there's a couple of the um, ones that are made for patients. The Libra, I'm not sure of, but I would certainly discuss that with your doctor. Um, okay. And, yeah, so I'm not sure about the Libra. I think the Libra is something you buy for personal use only, and there's ones like Dexcom and Medtronic are ones that um, you can either buy personal use or your 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 diabetes educator has them for you to use. Um, for, for, you know, for oh. cost. Okay, thank you. I believe the Libre is available as well. And um, and for both of those devices, or all the CGMs, there's a few out. Um, those are the two most common. Um, but they, you could have a professional version. At, so your doctor can kind of prescribe it for you just for a short term, usually like the 14 days. And yeah. And then get some information, and then you can work with your diabetes educator about, you know, what was happening and, um, you know, how you could decide what behavioral changes you want to make that you're prepared to make. Um, yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm so new in this that I don't even have an educator yet. I'm just going my family doctor. Um, so I'm not, I'm taking medication, what, trying to watch what I eat, and... That's about where I am right now. So I have to get with other people, an educator and stuff. So We're thank glad you. that you joined us today to learn some more. And certainly you may want to talk to your doctor or nurse practitioner, whoever you see. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Jane. A lot of insurance companies, um, they don't want to, either they don't want to prescribe these CGMs or we just have a... Um, hard time convincing a lot of the insurance companies that we need um, CDMs. They still want to prescribe the, uh, you know, traditional methods. But uh, I think CDMs are, are the way to go. At least 
for a blind person, we don't have to prick, uh, you know, our fingers and um, de develop neuropathy and other conditions. But how do we then advocate uh, for us or someone else um, uh, in these issues? I'll take that one, guys. Um, Gene, this is Tom. And... The, the uh, this this session this track is definitely being recorded um, because it's being streamed live on ACB uh, media. Uh, um, if you're a type two diabetic that are, that's not insulin dependent, um, we've seen some definite inconsistencies in the way insurance will or will not cover, mostly not cover, um, for whatever reason, and uh, we have several people, including our, our streamer today, Mr. Gaspin, who's str struggling with that same issue, and we have another member who's also struggling with that, and um, so it's it's on our radar, Gene, that we're, we're trying to, um, you know, work on getting some consistent interpretation of the formulas and the rules, because they are definitely being uh, enforced, from my vantage point, inconsistently, so... Stay tuned, ACB Diabetics in Action. It's something that we are working on. And it's not just for individuals with a visual impairment or are having struggling to get whether they can get on a CGM or not. Um, but that is something that is being advocated for because we they're game changers and they really can keep people out of the ER and out of um, very expensive treatments if we can maintain, if we can have earlier interventions. So there is a lot of advocacy that is going into making sure that these insurance companies are having some coverage you know, there's limitations. Uh, so I'll tell you that mostly what I see personally is that they want you to be doing multiple finger sticks and multiple daily injections of insulin is currently the requirement in most. And when they're talking about that, they're usually requiring four or more and having it documented. So um, they figure if you're not willing to poke yourself that many times, you're probably not going to treat that well either. Um, but we need to change that logic because what we find is that when people get the information they need, then they do treat and they do change their behaviors very easily because they know what to change. Sometimes you're just trying to change something and it doesn't work. Your blood sugar is still high. So why, are you, you know, it seems frustrating. So it helps us pinpoint what is helpful for you to change? Yeah, Lisa, um, on that note, I don't, I can't, I know that you all change from AADA, AADE, American Association of Diabetes Educators. You've, I know you've rebranded and renamed yourself, and I apologize, I can't remember the name, but is this an issue that the professionals in yeah, yeah. the diabetes space are taking on? Yeah, so our new, our new brand name is the um, Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, which is ADCES, and they okay. are actively working with Medicare and with legislators to improve access to um, continuous glucose monitoring, and they have made some steps forwards in terms of around type 2 diabetes um, and insulin and number of shots you need to be doing um, each day. So it is an area that's getting a lot of attention, and certainly I think as... Um, the American Council for the Blind as an advocate can definitely be contributing to that discussion. So I think people that are interested in that, um, um, it's probably something I know Tom is very interested in. And I think moving forward, this is going to be an area that you'll be working on 
and probably collaborating with with the our, our association and legislators to move this forward. Yes, uh, as the incoming president, the short answer, uh, Brenda, is yes. <laughs> we we <laughs> definitely want to work with you in ACBDA and our parent organization, ACE, the American Council of the Blind. So. <laughs> Definitely, we'd love to work together with you on that for sure. Tom, the problem that we're having, and you talked about this earlier, is that not everybody's getting the same information coming back. So we as consumers get different information depending on who's telling us, and that's what's frustrating for us. Yep. The other thing I would say, I think that's why probably it's better to work as a but the other thing to know as well is like things like Dexcom or Medtronic, those are very expensive devices that you want, definitely want your insurance to cover. The one thing about the freestyle labor rate is it is, it is less expensive. So I'm not saying, I mean, if finances are difficult for you, then this will still be difficult for you. But I know some people who pay out of pocket for the, the device and for this, for the um, testing supplies that go with it on a monthly basis. So not that that's not solving it for a lot of people, but for some people, if they have some fi- um, financial um, uh, flexibility, that might be another way for them to be getting the freestyle until we get it better. And I will, I will say this, Brenda, that Libre, I call it Libre 2.0, um, has not been FDA approved with the app yet, so it's not accessible to people with vision impairment. Um, we've been trying to get Abbott Diabetes Care to move on that and we've had very little success so and the if other people thing to think of well, just, I'll just think more yeah so I, what i just wanted to say is that if people looking to get into the libre uh continuous glucose monitoring system it's going to be the 14-day system yeah the other thing i was just going to share really quickly because i know we're getting towards the end of our time is that the other thing that's coming out is we're seeing something called remote patient monitoring where mm-hmm. a so-called patient wears a, a, a cgm and it's a blue it's a bluetooth device that is sends information to your provider to your, your 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 physician your primary care physician and then they monitor and can act on it and contact you as needed when they're seeing pattern changes so that's that might be another way that's going to open up the door a little bit more for people um, who are trying to get this and we're still waiting for changes in insurance. It's another avenue. Erica? One thing that I've run into was when I found a medication that the pharmacist in my um, doctor's group prescribed, she gave me a sample of it. It worked. It was working. But then the insurance company, my insurance company doesn't want to cover their costs so I could be a part of their program, and that was the Rebesalum. Um, The other question I have is a diabetes educator. Is that different from, say, like a pharmacist that the doctor's group has? And how do I go about finding one in my area? Or would my insurance company have to pr- suggest that or something? How do I go about getting that? I can address the diabetes educator for you. Um, And that is that. um, So we we used to be called certified diabetes educators, but then we changed our name. So now we're called certified diabetes care and education specialists. (laughs) That we, especially reflect more of what we do, but to become a certified diabetes educator is, 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 
quite a, um, it's, it, it's an accreditation process and you have to have a certain amount of hours and you have to write a, um, an, an exam and then you have to um, receive a certain amount of credits every, every year, every five years to maintain, maintain your certification. And that can be a nurse, it can be a pharmacist, it can be a dietitian, it can be a, a physical therapist, it can be a, phys- um, and, and a nurse practitioner. Um, so there's a lot of professionals that can be that. Um, and the way that you would want to do is um, ask your doctor to refer um, to your local diabetes program is is because you need the referral from the physician for your insurance to cover it. Okay. And we're still working on payment programs and coverage of diabetes medication. And there's also some legislation out there for non-medical switching um, is what it's called, where um, one of the frustrations is your doctor will prescribe you, put you on the medication, and they found the one that is covered by your current insurance. And you don't change insurance, but they change who they want you to use that same medicine. Um, you know, just like an aspirin can come by very different names, um, and it's still an aspirin. Um, you know, so we don't want you them switching you to a different brand. Um, because that can be very confusing to people. And um, so in January, that was what was happening to a lot of people with diabetes is they were taking this medication and now they needed a prescription for this other brand of medication. And it was just a lot of work on both the doctor's offices and on your part. So there's a lot of talk about medication right now in the diabetes world and a lot of advocacy because we recognize the easier we make it on you, then the more likely you are to uh, be able to continue to self-care to the best of your abilities. But if we make it hard on you, then no wonder you get frustrated and give up. Andy. Yeah, hi. I've been taking insulin for 62 and a half years. Yay. And uh, (laughs) for some reason, Medicare keeps refusing to pay for my insulin. Oh. And and they even made me take a couple years ago here, my doctor thought it was really stupid, made me take a Pepsin test to prove I needed insulin. I've been taking insulin since January 27, 1959. And so they made me change insulin recently, brand names from Humalog to Novolog, and I've ended up in the hospital twice. I haven't been in the hospital with my diabetes in over 40 years until <laughs> this month. I've been in the ER three times this month because I changed brands of insulin. That's what yeah, I was referring to as the non-medical switching. Go ahead, Brenda. I would just add to say that um, I had that issue as well when I first went on insulin pump. They were using Novolin, and I couldn't use Novolin. It didn't Chemistry didn't work well with my body, so I switched over to um, regular insulin. This goes back to the early 90s um, before Humalog was even out there. So every situation is different, but I got my doctor to rewrite my script and said that it was me- medically necessary for me to have this specific insulin, and I was able to get it to work. So I'm guessing you've done probably done that, but that just I just wanted to suggest that. Yeah, I've, I went back on Humalog, but... How do I get Medicare to pay for insulin? It sh- it should be covered. Medicare should be paying for your insulin. And- yeah, it should be. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Medicare. Um, well, I guess the question would be with Medicare is looking at: Do you have like a, a drug plan with your Medicare plan? Eric, code nine five one. Hi, 
Hi, my name is Nancy, and I'm a type 2 diabetic. I haven't tested in a long time. I just have a quick question. Um, you know, my doctor, I, I go every three months for A1C, but um, and it's been mostly good. Sometimes I've got, anyway, fall off the wagon, but try not to. Um, how often should one, if I do get, start testing, should I test two hours after I eat? Is that, is that where you get the best results? I can't recall. I used to do it all the time. But it's been two years, three years since I've tested my, my diabetes. Um, well, and, what I would, yeah, and also, yeah, go on, I'm sorry. What I would recommend if you're going to start testing and you want to, let's say you want to start testing twice a day. I mean, and also, yeah. so first of all, this, you have to get a prescription from your uh, provider to, so that you can get yeah, have a Yeah, yeah I've got a care and, supplement, yes. Uh-huh. Then it will indicate how much you're allowed to test each day. Um, but what you can be doing, so I don't know how many, do you know how many tests you're allowed to have per month? Like what is your supply? I'm not really, I haven't done it. I have to check with Medicare or the doctor would have to write the prescription properly. Uh, I mean, yes. you know, because oftentimes they don't word things properly either. Yeah. So what I would say is that a lot of times pair testing helps. So let's say first thing in the morning, test your blood sugar. See, what do I wake up at? And then when you eat, test two hours after. Um, because if you woke up really great, the blood sugars were like, you know, let's say they were like 112 in the morning. Um, that's a good start. But then if you tested two hours after and it was 300, then you know that, wow, that, that really high blood sugar is what I ate. Because if you just tested after you ate, you wouldn't know, was it the food or did I start high? So, and, and sometimes doing the pair testing, so testing before and after as you say, two hours after breakfast, before and after lunch, and testing different types of food. Like when I eat my my my, my healthy breakfast, what is it? You test before you eat, two hours after. So you get to see, well, what happens to my blood sugar when I eat healthy? And then say, hmm, what happens when I eat the foods I know I probably shouldn't, but let's just see what the are. And yeah. it gives you so two hours, information. Yeah, two hours after the the, the, the one meal. Okay. Two hours after. Okay, yes. thank you. I appreciate and, that. All right, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Um, I want to extend a very um, thanks to Brenda and Lisa for an absolutely amazing presentation. Um, again, we're going to have our second track with both Brenda Javidic and Lisa Golden here starting at 4. Um, and for those of you that had your hand raised, I apologize we couldn't get to all the questions. But, again, please do me a favor and send um, your questions to uh, the email address acbdaorg, so that's ACB Diabetics in Action, abbreviation acbdaorg at gmail.com, and, and we will try and uh, get the answers that you need. Um, but again, I was thank you all for being here today. I hope you really enjoyed this, and um, I will give you the closing continue education code one more time. It's, it's 95435. So that's 95435 is our closing code for you people that are looking for continuing education credits. So thanks so much for all being here. It was a great hour and 15. Uh, Brenda and Lisa, get a little break here until we get into the 4 o'clock hour, and uh, we'll have more hear more great information from the two of you. So thanks, everybody, and we're going to use this room, so if you want to stay in it, you can. <laughs>